Hello and welcome to Sincerely Speaking. I'm Marcy Amaro. I am so looking forward to this conversation today. I was luckily and thankfully introduced to Jacqueline Farrington through an email that I received and I'm so happy that I said yes and that I decided to meet her. We already had a lo lovely conversation about a week ago, I believe, and I'm really excited to see where this conversation takes us because she has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and experience to bring to this conversation. So Jacqueline, thank you for being part of Sincerely Speaking. Welcome. Thank you, Marcy. It's a delight to be here. Life can be everything you want it to be. Don't believe me? I challenge you to take me up on the offer to get on a 30-minute call with me where we will discuss exactly how to get you from where you are to where you want to be, how to put all the pieces in your life in place so you no longer feel pulled in a million different directions, and how to lead yourself to unparalleled and unwavering success. You ready to take your life to the next level? Then stick around to Sincerely Speaking and head on over to marciamaro.com after you listen to today's episode so you can schedule your 30-minute path-paving call with me where we will talk about where you are right now, where you want to go, how to get there, and we will start you on a path to the life, the business, the relationships, the fulfillment, the joy that you've been looking for. I can't wait to meet you in person. Enjoy this episode and share it with somebody you love. So let's start like I start with most of my guests, just by telling us a little bit more about you, what you do, and how you got started with what you do. Sure. Well, I work with C-suite senior leaders on communications, leadership, and, and change, and delivering transformative change to their teams and individuals and, and their organizations. So they have a positive impact on, on the world. And I got started in all of this. It, well, if I go way back several decades, in my 20s, I was a professional actress. And while I was doing that, I taught at the Yale School of Drama for around 14 years. And through that, I started to work with people in the law school and the school of management and realized, you know, this is my, my calling. I've always been very curious about human behavior and how we impact one another through communications. And so I saw directly the impact my, my coaching would have on people who were running for public office or, or making starting a company, making a really serious life change. And so left Yale in around 2005 and, and started my company. And here I am today. That is outstanding. I love already the way this conversation is going and there's so much to <laughs> to pick at, right, from what you just said. But I would love to start with this notion of your pivot, right, your transformation from uh, performing arts and into what you do today. And the reason I'd like to start there is because you mentioned a couple of key things like transformational change and um, just recognizing a need, right? And I speak with so many people who have had a long career, but they can't really see how to transfer what they know and what they've done into something new. So can you help us see a little bit of maybe the process you took, maybe processes that you take people through who know that it's time for a change, who know that it's time for a transformation, but they don't quite understand how to start uh, mining, right? What is there already to work with? Yes, great, great question. I have worked for several years, as, as I mentioned, in change leadership. 
And the I've learned so many things through doing that. But one of the biggest things I've learned is that change rarely, I'd almost go so far as to say almost never happens in one big giant leap. Unless, of course, circumstances thrust that upon us. But even our response then is never one big leap. It's incremental. It's tiny steps. And so I think whenever somebody is trying to think about a life change, a a career change, an organizational change, reminding yourself that it changes incremental. It happens one small step or even one half step. I'll even say to my clients, what's 1%? Mm. Tomorrow, what would the 1% be? And then the next day, what would the 1% be? And that, that leads then to transformational change, as opposed to often when people try to change quickly and they they do it in one big leap, it ends up not sticking. And you see this individually, you see this organizationally as well. And, and New Year's resolutions are a great example of that. <laughs> I'm going to lose 30 pounds. Okay, but what's the 1% of losing 30 pounds, even if it's just tomorrow I'll drink more water. That gets you closer to your ultimate goal. And so when it comes to career changes, I think it's important for people to recognize that reflection is an action. You don't want to Mm -hmm. stay in reflection forever, but reflection is an action. Reflecting on where are my where are my passions where what am i drawn to what makes me feel most energized in, in terms of what i do and then small steps in exploring that mm-hmm. and so and i give you an example of that i, I had a client years ago who was very senior executive at coca-cola and decided that he didn't want to work in in that area anymore and he wanted to work more in healthy organic foods okay. And so his baby steps were first just reflecting on his values, which led him to this insight of, hey, I want to actually work in sustainable organic foods. And then he started just having conversations with people who were working in that space. And it can feel like I'm not really making this leap. I'm really not moving forward. But because he took it 1%, one step at a time, took his time to get there, he then landed in a place where he's now very fulfilled and happy. That is so awesome. There's so much gold in what he just said. I took down like seven notes just from that. Um, But I think there's one phrase that you said that we need to needle point in a pillow and just sell it. Reflection is action. And I think that that is key because so often we've been led to believe that if we are sitting in reflection, we are wasting time or we are being lazy or we're not maximizing our resources. But it's the opposite, really, right? Yes. And, and of course we don't want to live in reflection. And and mm-hmm. part of my job as a coach is to say, okay, so what do you want to do with that reflection? Where do you, where do you want to go to with this? But without the reflection, we can't be intentional in where we want to go. And so that gives us that intentionality. And, and then we still may go in a direction we don't want to, we still may experiment and fail, but because we built that that sense of action, reflection, action, reflection, we're able actually to pivot more quickly because we built reflection into how we how we behave. 
Yeah, I have an expression that I share with my clients that it's make it an experiment, right? Because we tend to look at experiments and understand, well, we gather data, but then we have to process that data and analyze it and look at it and see where it's leading us and maybe do some tweaking in the process, right? And people yeah. tend to accept that when it comes to scientific experiments, but they don't accept it in other areas. So I think that's key. Yeah, um, fail intelligent. Absolutely. I love that expression yeah. too, fail intelligently. And the other thing that you were talking about was that 1%. It immediately reminded me of the idea of the compounding effect that things have, right? Yes, absolutely. There's a book I read a number of years ago. I think that's the name of it is, is the compound effect. The compound effect. effect, yeah. Yeah, great book for, for any of your listeners to read. And it's exactly that, that it's those small changes, not only that result in transformative change, but actually make it stick. Because we've had, through those small changes, we've had that opportunity to experiment, fail, learn, go back, try something else. It tends to create changes that that stick. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't remember if it's in that book or somewhere else, because I read so much, I get them all like mixed up and confused. But um, I heard someone say that when you add 1% to 1%, it doesn't equal 2%. It equals more than that, because that 1% is not straight a 1%, right? Plus, when you do the multiplication, and uh, they explained it really, really well, but you don't need to spend a hundred days to reach that hundred percent. Sometimes it oh, goes a lot faster because of that compounding effect. And it's just so amazing to understand that. So tell us a mm. little bit more about the difference or the distinction between transformative change, right? And maybe some of the other forms of change that we're accustomed to seeing, like maybe transactional change or other changes out there. Yeah, a- another great, great question. If you, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the statistic that 80% of organizational change fails. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the reasons for that is that it's not transformative change. And, and the way that I think about transformative change is going on a change journey. Mm-hmm. And that means that we we talked about we have to experiment and fail. It means that we have to experience those negative emotions that go with that change, with anger and bargaining and denial and blame. That's a part of it. And, and depression, that's a part mm-hmm. of the universal human response to change. It's called the change curve. But when we go through that change curve, then we learn, we grow. And as we start to come out on the other side of it, and we start to move into acceptance of the change, that's where experimentation starts to soar. Now, I really believe all through the change curve, we're experimenting, we're learning and growing, but it becomes more fun once we've gone through that more negative aspect of the change curve and we get we move more towards acceptance then we get into experimentation kind of playing with with the change and then celebration and so transformative change is change that really changes us from the inside out whether that's a human being individual or that's an organization where we look back on it and we look at our journey and go look what we did, look what I did, and look how much I learned. 
remember the old way and now look at the new way of doing things and how much I've grown and learned through this and the insights that I, I've had. I think that insight is a, a foundational part of transformative change yeah. so that then we can take that insight and that learning and apply it to the next change. And so it sticks rather than, you know, you mentioned transactional change. Yeah, th that, you know, I call it surface change. Yeah. That, yes, I, I'll, you're asking me to, to try a, a new system at, at work. Okay, yeah, I, I'll do it. But I'm not really into it. And that's yeah. part of your job as a leader is to motivate me to get, get into it and, and want Absolutely. to do it. And then I don't really feel empowered to learn through this. I'm, I'm not growing. I'm not curious. So often I, transactional change, I'm doing it because you've asked me to do it or organizationally, you've told me to do it. I don't see the benefits to me. I don't have any support or very little support as I go through the change. Um, so I'm not really buying into it. And chances are then that change is going to fall away. Yeah. The the reason I call it transactional is because it's I'm doing it because you're giving me a paycheck, right? So I'll do what you tell me because you're That's giving right. me a paycheck and there's that transaction, right? But like you said, where, however you look at it, the bottom line is if there's no insight, there's no lasting change. There's It doesn't stick. And that is yep. an amazing realization to have. Now, before uh, in your previous uh, something that you said, you mentioned that values equal insight. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, about how values connect with insight? Yeah, well, it's funny that I find, I don't know if you find this, but I find people really struggle with identifying their values. And and, and when you ask them, they'll say, well, I, I don't know. I've not really thought about it. And so I think we often bump into our values in life. And by that, I mean, we run into something that really upsets us or infuriates us. Mm -hmm. And if then we use that reflection as an action to, to step back and say, oh, that's interesting. That infuriated me. That upset me. Or I was moved to tears by that. What's the value that's being struck? It's like a, a mm -hmm. chord that's being struck in, in, inside of me that's resonating, it's causing this reaction. Or alternatively, it might be something that somebody teases us about. What, what do people tease you about? And that's often a value that might be slightly turned upside down on its head. So let, let's say you are, your partner teases you about re being really disorganized. And if you could only be more organized and, and clean up in the bathroom when after you're done, the value might be that's on, on top of its head might be spontaneity. Mm -hmm. You don't like a lot of, it feels rigid to you if things are really organized but you enjoy and you thrive in a spontaneous environment. So that's what I mean by values lead to insights is that so often in life, we we bump into our values without expecting it. Right, that's 
totally true. And yeah, you are right. People do struggle a lot with identifying their values. Funny thing is, most of us know what our values are. We just haven't brought it to the awareness level, right? And like you said, we often stumble into opportunities to bring them to the surface. And that's really key, I think. I would like yeah. to make a little bit of a shift in this part of the conversation because I find, and I think you do too, that in order for leadership to be effective, especially when we're talking about transformational change of any form, there has to be effective communication attached to it. And I know that that is one of the key things that you work with. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how a leader can start fine tuning their communication so that their uh, efforts in transformational change are more effective. Yeah, the very first thing to transforming or to growing in your communication is to build your awareness. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know that from emotional intelligence, right? That that that's foundational. Self-awareness is foundational to emotional intelligence. Well, it is to in communication as well. And a couple of ways you, you can do that, of course, ask for feedback. Hold up your hand. If your organization is offering a 360 feedback process, hold up your hand and say, <laughs> yes, I would love to do that. But if you don't have the opportunity to do that, then ask. Ask colleagues. Ask your greatest detractor. Mm-hmm. how to describe your communication style and what you could do to improve. And then the other thing I recommend is videotape, voice record yourself, hit hit the voice memo, turn it on when you're leaving a, a voicemail message or if you're in a meeting, turn on the record button in, in a Zoom meeting and then watch it. And when you watch it, tell yourself, I don't know this person. And that creates a little bit of objectivity and and also emotional detachment because everybody hates to watch and listen to themselves and we are our own worst critics. So (laughs) say, say to yourself, I don't know this person. And if I didn't know this person and they were showing up in, in this meeting, how would I describe the way they're showing up? What adjectives or brief phrases would I use to describe how they're showing up? And then force yourself to write at least, you can have more, but at least three things you see this person doing that are working for them, that they could actually grow and and improve and strengthen. That's that's key because of course, when we listen or watch ourselves, we want to go immediately to, ah, this is terrible. This is wrong. (laughs) Yes. And you want to build on those strengths. Yeah. So at least three things that that are working and then no more than three things that you'd like to to work on. Because, of course, we'll want to berate ourselves. And, And so no more than three things, even better if it's one or two, then work on those one or two things. Get those to a place where where you're happy with them and then do it again and ask for more feedback and go through that whole cycle and then start to identify one to three additional things you want to work on. That is so outstanding. So to everybody listening or watching, I suggest that after you finish the episode, you come back, like you could t- take a note of the timestamp and come back and listen to those steps again, because she just gave you gold and it's extremely actionable. And if you do what she's telling you to do, I guarantee you're going to see improvement if you take it seriously. You are going to see improvement. And then let us know how it goes. 
<laughs> absolutely <laughs> let us know how it goes now one thing that yeah. i believe you work on with the your clients and the teams that you work with is this idea of being congruent in your communication and in your efforts to communicate right can you walk us a little bit through what that means and what that looks like sure the easiest way to do that is to think about being incongruent so if you think about in communication, there are always two conversations going on at any given time. The first conversation are the words. Mm-hmm. And the second conversation is how we deliver the words, our, our voice and our body language. And if the two are not in sync, if, if we're not matching the words, the music and the dance, so it's flowing well together, audiences will pay attention, listen to conversation number two, the voice and the body language every single time. So if I'm saying I'm excited about something and I'm my my eyes are looking down at the floor and I'm kind of inching my way out of out of the room and I have no energy with my voice, the audience is going to go, I'm not I don't buy into this person. I don't believe they're excited. And, and then the interesting thing with, with leadership and especially with change leadership is that when that happens, people do what I call MSU, make stuff up. Or you mm-hmm. could insert another word in there as well, but make, make stuff. <laughs> they start to then infer their own meanings onto that message. So as leaders, it's crucial to think about being congruent. I I worked many years ago with a CEO. He was a fairly new CEO. He worked his way up through the organization and the board had been slightly reluctant to promote him, but but they did. And then he went into his first earnings call and the outlook for the company was actually quite optimistic. It wasn't a bad earnings call. It wasn't stellar news, but it also wasn't Mm -hmm. awful. But he delivered it in a way that was so lacking in energy and commitment. And he was kind of all all over the place vocally. And the press picked up on that. Hmm. And they said, what are they not telling us? Hang on, something's going on here. So then they brought me in to to work with him on being congruent. So think Hmm. about the words, your content, the the music is is your voice and the dance is your body language. And it's all got to be coordinated. Absolutely. And the funny thing is that we are pretty good at picking that stuff up on others, right? So uh, I'm thinking right now of performing arts in particular, and we've all probably had the experience of watching a movie where we're like, oh, we don't really buy that actor or that actress in that role, or we don't really see the chemistry there for that particular relationship that they're trying to portray. So we pick it up in others. And in that same way, others pick it up on us, right? Yes. And they and w- they may not be able to articulate why, mm-hmm. why they don't quite buy into it. Now, a, a trained eye can articulate why, but often an, an audience and an, an untrained eye in terms of communications or presentations, public mm-hmm. speaking, may just say, I, I don't buy into this person's credibility, or I don't find them trustworthy, or I'm not sure they have my back. What are they not telling me? Yeah, I think the most common expression I hear related to that is something's off. Something's yes. off there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think that once we realize, and, and I, I believe that the entire conversation ties together in the sense that once we become more aware of our values and where we're coming from, once we're willing to get the feedback and experiment a little bit more on how do we portray ourselves and present ourselves in the moment, and then we start recognizing that others are picking something up from us that they might not be able to articulate, but they recognize as something being off, then we start having the pieces in place to make the corrections and to present ourselves in a way that is more effective, right? Yes, and and I love where you went to with that too, Marcy, in terms of other, because that mm-hmm. that's also foundational to good communication and good emotional intelligence. So we think about self-awareness, but also other awareness and mm-hmm. reading the room, reading our audience and yes, being able yes. to pivot if our message isn't landing in the way that we intended it to. Absolutely. And that is key because communication involves, yes, the expression, but also the listening, right? So understanding that there's an intake of the information, there's another side to that communication. And that's where most of us fail. We think we're listening, but in reality, we're processing our response or we're thinking about how we're looking or we're we're doing all these other things in the background that are not really listening. And we need to learn to listen in every context, right? Yes, it, which is very challenging. It, it can feel like you're you're juggling a lot of balls, and and that's where and I know you you've talked about this on other episodes. That's where presence really comes into play and being fully present in the room in that moment, which is challenging for leaders because they have a lot going on. Mm-hmm, absolutely, but understanding that presence, like you said, it's a key to that connection that we so often look at, look for, right? Like in business, we talk about no like and trust. Nobody's going to trust you if they can't connect with you and they can't connect with you unless you're present. So it's this cycle, right? The snowball effect. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Completely. So before we wrap up and we're coming to the end of our time together, it always amazes me how quickly these fun conversations go. But um, I would love for you to share with our audience, anybody who's listening, one last nugget, one last tip that you think might help them in initiating whatever it is they're they're looking to change, right? In initiating that step towards being transformational. Yes, well, we talked about this idea of self-awareness and, and other awareness. And, and then and we hit a little bit on experimentation, but, but I think it's important to consider for a few min- minutes experimentation and curiosity and mm-hmm. giving yourself permission to fail. And that may mean then choosing places that are lower risk ways to fail. So for example, if if you have to give some kind of a keynote speech or any kind of public speaking, doing that in front of an audience, live human beings, but but a trusted audience, and even better if it's an ignorant audience where they know nothing about your topic, because then that's going to give them the opportunity to say, hang on a minute, you confused me there, or I don't know what that means, that acronym that you used, what does that mean? And that helps us then be able to determine where we need to tweak and and grow. But you can also set up experimentation and and failure by using a video camera. That creates a little bit of stress (laughs) because we all get a little nervous when the video camera is going. 
um, or even just trying in one-on-one -on -one conversations, trying different ways of connecting with, with people. I often have people say to me, how do I have a conversation with someone who's boring? And I say, <laughs> that's really interesting. I have never met a boring person in my life. Everyone has a story. So what mm -hmm. if you set a homework assignment for yourself of, of finding out what each person's story is? And those are ways where you can, those are low risk ways where you can experiment with communication and fail, fail in, a, in, in that um, more low risk fun way, go back and experiment and then try something again in, in, in another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Curiosity is key. It's one of the, the pillars of everything that I teach. When you become fully, truly and honestly curious about everybody that you engage with like you said i've never met a boring person either they all have something to bring they all have something to share and you just figure out how to mine it that's awesome so before we let you go any <laughs> last bits that you would like to share and anything that you have coming up anything that you would like to invite our audience to participate in with you how can they keep connecting with you well, the only thing, the last thing I'd share on communication is keeping in mind that it's it's never a final destination. It is a lifelong learning. We're learning to be better communicators, unless we just give up. But but my assumption <laughs> would, and my hope would be that we wouldn't give up. But continue to learn and grow as a communicator until the the day you die. You can always be better because we're always running into different people that require mm -hmm. different communication style. Best way for people to connect with me is on LinkedIn, Jacqueline Farrington on LinkedIn, and my website is farringtonpartners.com. And I have a, a book out on presentation skills, and it's won three awards, which is pretty exciting. And you can find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the major booksellers. Here is what I will tell you. Anytime you interact with another human being, and anytime you are in intending to, present a message and have it be received in the way you intended it to be received, you are presenting. So the skills that Jacqueline teaches, the skills are in her book, the things that we've talked about today are not just for CEOs and business owners and people who are trying to sell. They are for everybody who happens to interact with other human beings, which is I'm willing to say most of us, if not all of us. So go out there, connect with Jacqueline, buy her book, learn the skills and continue to improve because like she said, there's always room for improvement, right? Yes. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being part of Sincerely Speaking. Share this episode with someone who you know can find it helpful and go connect with Jacqueline in LinkedIn. I will put all her information in the show notes. So you just click on it and go find her. And thanks again, Jacqueline, for being with us. It was such a fun conversation. Thank you, Marcy. Really fun. Time. If you have found value in this conversation, share Sincerely Speaking with someone in your life that you know will find it valuable as well. And don't forget about my offer for a 30-minute path paving call free of charge where you and I will sit down and trace a path from where you are to where you want to be and get you going on the path to success. I will see you next week and I will see you on the call. Chat soon.